Uh, Today's reading is from Nehemiah, chapter 12, verses 27 to 47. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought from brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Natophathites, from Beth-Gigal, and from the area of Jeba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall, I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed to the top of the wall to the right, toward the dung gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mei, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jashana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Sheep Gate. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Maasiah, Miniamim, Micaiah, Eleoenai, Zechariah, and Hananiah, with their trumpets, and also Maasiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzai, Jehonahan, Milkaijah, Eliam, and Ezer. The choir sang under the direction of Jezrehiah, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites, for Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there have been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, 
all Israel contributed to the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as we explore your word together this morning, may we open our hearts, our minds, and our ears to hear afresh from you through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I did think long and hard about whether it was appropriate to carry on with Nehemiah, given the circumstances that have happened, but I did feel it was right to conclude our series today. So this is focusing on Nehemiah and our vision And I wonder, what good has this sermon series done if we don't then give thanks to God for what he will do through this church? What's been the point if we don't give thanks? This last few weeks, these last few weeks, even get my English right, has been the start of a season of renewing, restoring, and rebuilding. And as we've journeyed through Nehemiah, I felt the momentum start to gather within the church and amongst the congregation and the PCC. You remember we started way back in Nehemiah 1 and 2. We explored who he was, his heart, and his faith. We've seen the wall built despite the opposition. We've looked at the spiritual aspect of Jerusalem. There was the assembly where the Jewish people heard the scriptures taught by Ezra. There was a confession we heard about from Andrew last week and the the elements needed for spiritual renewal. And now here we are, we arrive at chapter 12. Well, where are we in the story of Nehemiah then? Well, we've heard about the people who've worked on the wall. We've heard about the people who were watching on the wall. And now we find Nehemiah and Ezra preparing people to be worshippers on the wall. Not worshipping the walls themselves, of course, but worshipping the Lord who had helped them through the trials that we've heard about in the preceding 12 chapter, 11 chapters. We know that the dedication of the Israelites was that they were really enthusiastic in this service, that it was heard from far off. The scripture tells us that. What if at the end of our discernment period over the vision, we too as a church are so enthusiastic that we too are heard from far off? Not that we will have achieved the vision, but that the Lord will have revealed himself to us and we can have at least made a start to the work that he has got in store for us. Throughout chapters 8 to 10, we've heard that the Jewish people were dedicated And now they dedicate the work the people had done. After all, what good were the dedicated walls and the gates without dedicated people? The emphasis here is on joyful praise. Because singing is mentioned eight times in the chapter, thanksgiving six times, rejoicing seven times, and musical instruments three times, in amongst all of those other names. What if we, friends, took our inspiration from that celebration that we've just heard about? We are not at the point where we can look back over the work and dedicate it to the Lord, but we can see what we have to do. It's almost for us like seeing the end of the story before we get there. I should have perhaps given it a spoiler alert. This is what it'll be like at the end when we get there, if we ever do. And I don't think we will, because when we get to where the vision is this time around, we'll then have to restart and look at what the Lord's calling us to in the future. 
As we've explored Nehemiah, I've been really grateful to receive your thoughts on the book and how it applies to our family here at Christchurch. I'm not going to beat around the bush, friends. I'm quite simply going to say there is work to do. And I think we'd probably all agree with that. In many ways, this series, I feel, has been preparing us for the work that we need to accomplish to see what happens when we follow the Lord's way and not our own. Today, I want us to surrender ourselves to God like the Israelites did on that wall. That's why I've asked you to bring a shoebox. If you've got a shoebox with you today, we're going to use it in a minute. And I'm going to invite you to come forward and we are going to build a wall of Christchurch. I've got to be careful where I do this. I'm not trying to build the wall in front of the Lord's table. But I want to build a wall. In the same way we've heard the symbolicness of hearing about Nehemiah building the wall, we are going to build a wall. And as we journey forward, as we move into this vision, the discernment and where we go, and then we start in the work, we are going to need that wall of protection around us. Just like Jerusalem needed that wall around them, we too will need a wall of protection around us because the enemy will not want us to succeed in the work that the Lord is calling us to do as a church. So I want to invite you to bring your shoebox forward. See it as a brick. I wanted to say another brick in the wall, but I shouldn't. (laughs) Bring it forward and we will build the wall. But as you do, don't just bring it forward and place it down here. Symbolically, offer yourself to God as you lay your brick and and say to God, what do you have in store for me at Christchurch? Because as we've said all along, each and every person in this church has a part to play in the future. So I'm going to invite you just to bring your brick up and we're going to try and build a wall. Now this might go horribly wrong if we're all different size boxes, but we'll do our best. If you have one, if you haven't got a box, I haven't got any spare, but just symbolically offer yourself to the Lord and say, here I am, I'm willing to do whatever it is that you call me. I'm going to invite you forward. We have got some spare boxes at the back if you haven't got one. I'm going to invite you to come forward and and lay, lay your brick on the wall of Christchurch. So now we have a wall, which didn't take us as long as the Israelites, but I'm just going to pray over this as a, as a symbolic act of the wall that we will need around us. So Father, we thank you for all the people that make up this church, all our brothers and sisters that make up this family. And we pray, Lord, that this wall of shoe boxes and other boxes will be symbolic of that wall of protection that you will place around each of us and around this church as we move forward and do your work for the benefit of the kingdom, now and forever. Amen. At the end of the talk, or perhaps at the end of the service, I think it'll be easier, once we've got rid of the boxes that we actually need to keep, I'm going to invite you, if you would like to, to come forward and take a different box home with you. To remind you that we are part of a family And I want you to pray for each other as we move forward. There's one condition. You're not allowed to pick up your own box. Has to be another box to remind you that you have a part in this place. Surrender. We need to surrender ourselves to God's will so that we can see what He wants from us here at Christ Church. 
What we read about in chapter 12 is that Nehemiah and Ezra encourage worshippers. We need to be worshippers to move forward. The church is very good at lip service, but sometimes that's, that's all we do. We have to actually start taking action. We need to actually do things. That's what the people named in Scripture do. And that's what we need to do as a church. This season is not about talking and talking and talking and then it's stopping. It's about talking, praying and discerning what the vision is. Then going out and actually doing the work. And as I've mentioned before, there are relationships that will need healing in the church. And that needs to happen amongst us before we move forward. We need to be moving forward together. All of us with our part to play in the wall. If you remember Helen's talk a few weeks ago, if there is division, the walls are going to fall over. You remember she used Colonel Mustard and Mrs. White, I think it was. But Miss Scarlett and somebody else, when they built the wall properly, it was very secure. That's what we need to be. We need to be secure as a church with our relationships in, in tune with each other. Otherwise, the wall is not going to be secure and the enemy will find his way in. The wall needs to hold strong. So why did Nehemiah and Ezra process around the wall though? Because that was what was being dedicated. The people of Jerusalem needed to see it and touch it. And as we get to the point where we launch the vision, that's not something in many ways we can actually touch the vision. We can't do that. But what we're going to do is prepare a booklet with the vision in and the reasoning behind it and all the information that we need. And each person will get a copy so that you know what it means to belong to this church and where your part is to play in this church. It'll be something physical to remind us of this season of praying, discerning, and seeking the Lord. The vision is not simply a statement that we're going to recite for the next few years. It needs to be a living thing. Otherwise, it's not going to work. But what is unique about the procession around the walls that we heard about is not just that it allowed people to see and touch the wall, but that they were praising God and bearing witness to the world about what he had done and that God alone should be glorified. Cast your mind back to Nehemiah 4.3. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, if even a fox climbed upon it, he would break down their wall of stones. Yet, here we are in Nehemiah 12, and the people of Israel are walking around the walls, and they are holding strong. That, friends, is a testimony to the unbelieving of the power of God and the reality of faith. And it's another opportunity to prove that that work was from God. When we have that vision in place, when we're ready to get, when we are doing the work, it will be testimony to the unbelieving out there of the power of God and the reality of faith. Since we started our journey back in January, I think it was in Nehemiah, I've been having conversations with different people around our community, and things are starting to gather momentum there as well and move forward. In the last few weeks, I've become a governor at Bushmead Primary School with a particular responsibility for well-being of staff and pupils. Because he said, well, that's your day job. Why don't you do it here? So it's more than a day job, but that's okay. <laughs> But it's important to get us out into the community as well so we're not just behind these walls of the church. I've been speaking to the hub and they are desperate to work with us on a good number of different things. And there is a real sense in the community now that the church is ready to get involved and get stuck in and be part of the community once again. The church is waking up. We are starting to get involved. And friends, long may that continue. 
I've got an idea of how we can have this building open more regularly and be a place where people can come and rest. That's been confirmed by at least three people outside of the church. Even Amanda's dad yesterday when I was speaking to him said something and I thought, oh, how on earth did you know that? But it was that confirmation. I was speaking at this conference, not, not speaking at the conference, but I, I was chatting to people at the conference and we may well have some support from the diocese on it as well. But there will be more on that later because the PCC don't even know my idea yet. <laughs> and we'll be talking about it next week at our away day. Watch this space. But as the people marched on the walls, they had the chance to see the work that had been done. An opportunity to see the work had not been done by just one person. Yes, Nehemiah was their leader, and he was needed. But various people had worked on the wall, and nobody owned part of the wall. They built the whole wall because it belonged to God. If we look at Christchurch through this lens, none of the work that needs to be done in this church can be done by me alone. None of the work that needs to be done in this church can be done by the staff team alone. None of the work that needs to be done in this church can be done by the PCC alone. None of the work that we do in this church is our work. It is collective work. The work that we do belongs to God. We do not own anything that we do in this church. And if we start thinking along those lines that this is my thing, no one else can do it, we're moving away from what Scripture says. It's a warning for us. If the work that we are doing depends solely on one or two people, then we've gone wrong. Just look at Nehemiah. That's what we've been exploring. It is the Lord's work. It is not my work. It is not your work. There is, I don't know how true this is, a story of a Sunday school teacher who sued a church because they decided to move the class to a different room in the building. And that was their room. I don't know if it's true or not, as I say, but it paints the picture that we get into serious problems when that train of thought creeps in. No matter what money has been put into what area of the life of this church... That does not allow us control over that particular area or ministry. The building and the work that we do in this building and out in the community belongs to God and must only be used for his glory. As the Jews marched around the walls, they were symbolically saying that, yes, we all had a part in the work and a place to serve, but now we are giving it to the Lord. That's what the church should be like. That we all have a part to play in the work. We all have a place to serve. But we are giving it all to him. That's the church, friends, that I believe the Lord is calling us to be. A church that is a body of Christ, where when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. A few weeks back, I was making a cup of coffee of all things, holding Hannah, and my back went, and I genuinely couldn't move for about an hour. Ended up on painkillers from the doctor. And a week afterwards, I was seeing David Holford, our, our Keep Fit instructor. And he was doing some work on my arms. And my back started hurting. And he said, that serves as a reminder that when one part of the body hurts, everything else struggles. That's true for us, friends. When one of us is struggling, we all are there. We need to support them and help them. That's the body of Christ working. If one of us is hurting or not working, it will be felt throughout the whole church. 
That's why I've said all along, we all have a part to play. It's written here in the scriptures. Everybody who is a member of the body of Christ has a part to play. That's why confession is important. That's why reconciliation is important. Where there has been hurt in this church, Lord, would you bring healing? Where someone has felt left out or not part of this church, would you bring healing and bring them into the family? Where someone has been doing too much and not allowing others room to grow, help them to step back. The marching around the walls is a symbolic way of saying they stepped out in faith to claim God's blessing. In that day, to walk on a piece of property meant to claim it for your own. Look at Genesis 13:17 and Joshua 1:3. By marching around the walls, it was saying, We claim from our God all that He has for us, just as our forebearers claimed this land by faith. Friends, we need to claim from God all that He has for us in this church. Too often in churches, we have vision seasons such as we are. We get to the point of launching the vision, and then we quickly revert back to the old way. We go back to though everything was normal. Through the pandemic, we've been saying, this is a time for change. Yet as soon as we reopened, we default to what we know best. The launch of the vision is very much not the end. It is the beginning. It's a new chapter in the book of Christchurch. If we lose the vision and we stop stepping out in faith, then what God has accomplished in us and through us will start to fall away. And we don't want that to happen. The most important thing about that dedication service was the joyful praise of the Lord's people. This is what we should be doing. Our vision is a new milestone in the life of the church, and it will be the beginning of many a great thing. But we need to continue giving joyful praise to the Lord. If something that you are involved in stops as a result of the vision season, are you going to continue to give joyful praise to the Lord, or are you going to be upset with me and or the PCC? Think carefully how you answer that question. Because the answer to that question will depend on whether you are doing it for the right reason or not. Are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for the Lord? If you're doing it for the Lord, you will continue to give joyful praise. This service of dedication takes place. And it would not have happened had it not been for King David over 500 years before. He had organized the priests and the Levites. He'd written many of the songs. He devised the musical instruments for use in worship. David had served his generation faithfully, but that meant the generations that followed also did the same. David made Jerusalem the capital. He provided the blueprints for the temple. And 1 John 2.17 tells us, He who does the will of God abides forever. The reason this church is here is because of the faithfulness of the people in the 90s when this estate was built. When you started to meet next door in the community hub on that first Sunday. The reason this building is here is the faithfulness of the people who got together, made a building committee, got the plans together, saw the building built. And this year we celebrate 20 years of the building. This church is here because of the faithfulness over the years. And this church will continue to be here long after we've all gone because of the faithfulness of us now. He who does the will of God abides forever. We are going to be doing the will of God. Otherwise, what's the point? Everyone got involved in the worship in Nehemiah. It wasn't a spectator event. It was a participatory one. If we are merely spectators, we will miss out 
on most of what the Lord has in store for us. So friends, are you prepared, are we prepared to be participators in the mission that the Lord is calling us to? Are we prepared to be fully involved with what he is going to be doing through this church? Even if we've not been involved before or we've not felt involved or we've been too involved, are we prepared to surrender the past, to look forward to the future and what is in store for us? The people give their gifts to the Lord to ensure that the temple ministry continues. The tithes and the offerings that were given were because of the ministry in the temple. The worship they conducted took place not from their own ideas, but in obedience to their their directions given by David and Solomon. When we have a godly ministry that exalts the Lord and obeys his word, people will be glad to support it with tithes and offerings. But when it has worldly or personal ambitions, it's often not supported joyfully. The ministry of this church needs to go beyond our personal ambitions. Church is not a place to grasp with and make sure that everyone knows who we are. Church is a place to surrender to the Lord and to achieve his purposes and to leave our own ambitions at the door. And that's why when you brought the box or when you were sat in your seat, I said, surrender yourself to God. Leave those personal ambitions to one side. When there is joy, there is plentiful supplies. Missionary leader J. Hudson Taylor once said, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack God's support. When God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack God's support. That's what we're trying to achieve here. We're looking to do God's work in God's way, for God's glory, with God's support. Friends, we are in this together. Are we ready to surrender afresh to the Lord, to seek his will and to do his work? I hope so. Because as we do that, Christ Church can and will be renewed, restored and rebuilt for the glory of God in the same way the walls and gates of Jerusalem were rebuilt for the glory of God. So to him be the glory, now and forever. Amen.